This is Movies for the Blind, episode 194, Scrooge, part one of two. Every fool who goes about saying Merry Christmas should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of olive to his heart. Hello and welcome to Movies for the Blind, where you can enjoy films without looking at a screen. I'm Valerie Hunter. Up until this point, we've been pretty non-traditional with our holiday programming. We've had a TV movie about a divorcee in an inner-city choir, two cartoon kids battling an evil snow queen, and even some post-holiday stress with Ozzy and Harriet. But this time, we're going full bore with a version of A Christmas Carol. Of course, there are tons of different versions, but this one features a guy who probably put in more time as Ebenezer Scrooge than anyone, playing him in thousands of theater performances and two films. His name was Seymour Hicks. From 1935, this is Scrooge. Twickenham Film Distributors present Seymour Hicks in Scrooge. From a row of books, a hand pulls out one of them. It's one of a collection of Christmas books. Set on a table, it's open to a title page. A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. More pages are turned. Produced by Julius Hagen at Twickenham Film Studios. Controlled throughout the world by Twickenham Film Distributors, London W1. Scenario, H. Fowler Mir. Production Supervisor, Hans Brahm. Photography, Sidney Blythe, William Luff. Sound Recording, Bainham Henry. Assistant Direction, Arthur Barnes, James Davidson. Original Score and Musical Direction, W.L. Tritel. Directed by Henry Edwards. The Players, Seymour Hicks, Donald Calthrop, Robert Cochran, Mary Glynn, Oscar Ash, Athene Saylor, Mary Lawson, Morris Evans, Jerry Marsh, Barbara Everest, Eve Gray, C.V. Friends, Morris Harvey, Philip Frost, D.J. Williams, Margaret Yard, Hugh E. Wright, Charles Carson, Hubert Harbin. Preface. I have endeavored in this ghostly little book to raise the ghost of an idea which shall not put my readers out of humor with themselves, with each other, with the season, or with me. May it haunt their houses pleasantly, and no one wish to lay it. Their faithful friend and servant, Charles Dickens, December 1843. St. Paul's Cathedral looms over the snow-dusted roofs of London. On a foggy winter's night, musicians play under a street lamp. A man slowly totters past them, carrying a tray of wares. near another man sitting on a cart, paused outside a stone building, with dim light glowing in the windows. A sign by the door reads, Scrooge and Marley. Inside, a white-haired figure is hunched over a desk with a quill. Setting it down, he hunches further. Across the shadowy spare office and around a corner 
A middle-aged man hunches slightly less, writing with his quill by candlelight. Setting his quill down, he curls his hands to his mouth to warm them, then holds them around a candle flame. He brings them to his mouth again, then tucks them under his arms. Getting off his stool, he turns to a small furnace and feels little from it, then glances toward the older man and picks up a shovel. He looks out the window at approaching gentlemen, puts down the shovel and goes to the door. The men enter, smiling. A Merry Christmas to you. Will you step in, please, sir? Uh, Scrooge and Marley's, I believe. Yes, sir. Is there anything I can do for you, sir? Well, if it is quite convenient, I should like to speak with a member of the firm. Mm. The old man turns. You, uh... You wish to see me, I presume, sir? They remove their hats. Yes. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley's been dead these seven years. Oh. Dead as a doornail. Died seven years ago. It's very night. Oh. We took the liberty of calling on you at your chambers, Mr. Scrooge, thinking that you would have finished business for the day. He stands. But we failed to make anyone here. That's not surprising. I'm the only person who lives there. Right. Consequently, we have called here. At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, it seems more than usually desirable to make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer terribly at this present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessities. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts, sir. Are there no prisons? Scrooge returns to his desk. Yes. Plenty of prisons. He says. Union workhouses are still in operation, eh? They are still. I wish I could say they were not. Warlaw and the treadmill are in full vigor then, eh? Both very busy, sir. Uh, very very sir. I thought from what you said that something had occurred to interfere with them in their useful course. Very very sir. Very glad to hear it. Under the impression that they scarcely furnish Christmas cheer of mind and body for the multitude, some few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor of London meat and drink and means of warmth. We choose this time because this is the time of all others when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. Now, what shall I put you down for? Scrooge prepares his quill again. Nothing. And writes. Nothing? Oh, oh, I see. You wish to be anonymous. Scrooge turns. I wish to be left alone, sir. Since you ask me what is my wish, that is my answer. I don't make many myself at Christmas. I can't afford to make a lot of idle people many. I hope to support the institutions we've just mentioned. They cost enough. People are badly off, they'd better go there. Many can't go there. Many would rather die. Well, if they'd rather die, they'd better do it. He hunches over his work. And decrease the surplus population. The men face each other indignantly. Besides, excuse me, sir, I don't know that. But you should know it. It's not my business, sir. A man's got enough to do in this world to mind his own business. Without interfering with a lot of other people's, mine occupies me constantly. Good evening, sir. Scrooge writes again with his quill, and the men head for the door, which the co-worker opens. Allow me to express my regrets, sir, if I have said anything. Good evening. With hats back on, they leave, and the co-worker closes the door. He sneaks back to his work area, in view of a mirror in front of Scrooge, and gets back the shovel. Scrooge's head rises slightly as he takes the shovel 
bends down and picks up a brick of coal, which he places on the shovel, followed by another. As he stands with one more brick... May I inquire, Mr. Cratchit, what you're doing with that shovel full of coal? Why, I beg your pardon, sir, but the outer office is intensely cold, and my fire... Your fire? I should have said your fire, sir. Yes, sir. It shows symptoms of going out, and I thought I might venture to replenish it with a small quantity of coal. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, it's very evident to me, you know, Mr. Cratchit, that you and I left apart. Oh, I see no ill for it, sir. Drops his quill. You don't pay for the coal, so you can afford to be reckless. Therefore, very evident to me, sir, you know, that... He gets a book. My interest is not your interest. Nor my welfare, your welfare. He drops it. Get on with your work, sir. That'll keep you warm enough. I'm not cold. Why should you be? And I am your senior. <coughs> By a great many years, I fancy. Cratchit puts the coal back. And all about a small shovel full of coal. And none of your mumbling, you know, none of your mumbling. Scrooge beckons Cratchit with a finger. And Cratchit approaches. You, you have a wife and family to support, I understand. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How many children have you got? Around half dozen, sir. Three boys and three girls. Tut, tut, tut. Can I afford a wife? Yes, sir. Eh? Uh, I mean, no, sir. Have I any children? I don't know, sir. Eh? No, no, sir. How much am I constrained to pay you a week for your services? Fifteen shillings, sir. Ah. Be to your interest, sir, to see that you're worth it. Cratchit turns away awkwardly and steps to a scarf on a wall hook. He takes the scarf down and ties it around his neck. Outside, a young man carries armfuls of parcels through the streets. Stopping at the man with the tray, he buys something from him. Then moves on to Scrooge's office. A Merry Christmas to you, Uncle, and God save you. Bah! Humbug. Christmas and humbug? You can't mean that, I'm sure. I do mean it, sir. What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Come then. What right have you to be dismal? What reason have you to be morose? You're rich enough. Bah! Humbug. Oh, don't be cross, Uncle. How can I help being cross, sir, when I live in such a world of fools as it is? A Merry Christmas. What's Christmas time to you, sir? The time for paying bills without money. He knocks one of the parcels. Time for finding yourself a year older? <laughs> Not a penny of it, sir. If I had my way, sir, every fool who goes about saying Merry Christmas should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of olive through his heart. He should. Uncle! Nephew, you keep Christmas your way. Let me keep it in mind. Keep it? But you don't keep well, it. Well, let me leave it alone, then. Much good has it done you. Much good will it ever do you. It's the only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut hearts freely. And therefore, though it's never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe it has done me good and will do me good. And I say, God bless it. Here, here. Here, here. Scrooge turns to Cratchit. Mr. Cratchit, if I hear another word from you, you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. Dear, 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 dear. Quite a powerful speaker, sir. When you don't go into Parliament? Don't be angry, Uncle. Come, dine with us tomorrow. I'll see you. But why? Why? 
Why did you get married? Because I fell in love. Because I fell in Good evening. You never came to see us before, that happened. Why give that as a reason for not coming now? Good evening, sir. But I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Well, you won't get it, so you won't be disappointed, will you? We've never had a quarrel to which I've been party. So why not let us part friends? Good evening, sir. Well, I'm sorry with all my heart to find this arrangement. But I've made the trial in homage to Christmas, and I'll keep my Christmas humor to the last. So a Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good evening, sir. And a Happy New Year. You're a noisy devil. That's what you are, sir. Merry Christmas, Bob Gretchen. And the same to you, sir. And many of them. And not forgetting your good lady, Mrs. Fred. Thank you, Gretchen. A Merry Christmas to you. A Merry Christmas. Fred leaves and Cratchit shuts the door. Children gather outside the window. Scrooge pauses in his writing and turns to the young faces in the window. Tossing his quill, he picks up a stick. The children scatter when he stands with it. Cratchit closes his ledger and stands, blowing out his candle and reaching for his hat. Ah, always ready and willing to quit your work, I notice. It's seven o'clock, sir. That clock's fast. By the way, I, I suppose you'll want all day off tomorrow, eh? Well, sir, if, if, if it's quite convenient. It isn't convenient. It isn't fair. He helps Scrooge with his coat. If I was to stop half a crown for it, oh, you'd be mightily ill-used, I'd be bound, wouldn't you? Scrooge snuffs his candle. Don't think I'm ill-used, do you? And I have to pay a whole day's wages. No work. He puts on his hat. It only happens once a year, sir. That's a pretty excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. Well, I, I suppose you've got to have it. Cratchit opens the door. There's the key. You see, sir, that you're here all the earlier next morning. They both leave the office. Good night, sir. And a Merry Christmas. Ah, humbug. They go their separate ways. A beggar holds out his hat, but retracts it when Scrooge walks by, then holds it out again. Meanwhile, Fred buys a bough of holly from a vendor and walks on with his growing stack of parcels. Kids run and slide along an icy path through crowds of shoppers. rush back to the start of the path to make another run. Cratchit joins them, sliding on the ice. Grinning, he reaches the end, waves to the kids and moves on. A hurdy-gurdy man plays outside a poultry shop, where Scrooge navigates the crowds outside, under the hanging birds. The proprietor turns to him. Merry Christmas, sir. Scrooge walks on. He enters a tavern and smacks his cane on a table, waking a server. Scrooge sits in a booth as the worker stands and passes a menu. Meanwhile, a boy knocks on a door for the heavily laden Fred. Merry Christmas to you, my boy. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. A young woman opens the door. 
and takes some of the parcels the boy carries for him. The boy moves on as Fred enters. Cratchit carries a small goose and a bow to a door. While elsewhere, a carriage door opens. A well-dressed gentleman and lady step out. Walking past footmen, they go up some stairs to a mansion, which is filled with revelers in formal dress. As another couple leaves a carriage, an urchin approaches a footman. Give us a penny. Get out of this. He runs when another man steps toward him. Several others like him stand outside the barred window to a large kitchen, which is bustling with workers preparing a feast. One tastes some brandy as another waits for approval. The first one finishes the glass. As a pastry chef pipes icing on a cake, a plump one shakes with the molded jellies. The second worker tastes brandy, holding a fish. All is clean? Yeah. The boy gets slapped with it as food is flipped and birds over fires are basted. As more tasting is done, a baker tosses rolls through the window to the poor outside, who catch them and run off or eat right away. In the tavern, Scrooge chews and pours over a book. Hi, hi. The server approaches. Tell him to stop that noise. The server goes to obey. In the mansion. My lord, will you make your speech now, or will you let the ladies and gentlemen continue to enjoy themselves? Call silence for the loyal toast. My lord, ladies and gentlemen, pray silence for the right honorable, the Lord Mayor of London. The Lord Mayor stands. My lords, ladies and gentlemen, her most gracious majesty, the Queen. Everyone stands, holding up their glasses. In the tavern, Scrooge gets his hat as the server counts change and sets it down. Scrooge picks it all up and stands with his cane, walking away. He leaves the tavern and walks down the street, which is less busy now. He goes up some stairs. A dog barks as he goes down others and walks on, aided by his cane. A man walks by with a dog. What the devil are you doing here? Frightening people out of their wits. He steps through an open iron gate. 
and soon approaches a house. At the door, he searches his pockets. When he finds a key, he's startled by something on the door knocker, a face scowling at him. Above a sign listing Jacob Marley and Ebenezer Scrooge, the face disappears. And Scrooge puts the key in the lock, glancing behind him. He works to unlock the door, then gets it open, and enters the house, peering at the back of the door. He leaves it ajar to light a candle. He closes the door, then secures a bolt, and the main lock. Picking up the candle, he turns to a staircase and goes up. He enters a dark room and looks around with the aid of the candle, then crosses it tentatively. Stopping at a table, he thrusts his cane under it to check for anything hiding. Continues searching the gloom. Opening a door with his cane, he follows it into another dark room and looks around. Switching hands, he stops short and approaches a canopy bed, sticking the cane through the bed curtains, but finds nothing unusual on the bed. He spots a figure across the room. Stepping around the bed, still leading with his cane, he steps toward it. But it's just his robe hanging. He sets down the candle and walks to another door beside the bed. He opens it to a drafty room where a hatbox falls. He kicks it away. Closing a window there, he returns to the bedroom, where he steps toward the robe and sets down his cane against the wall. He takes off his hat and pulls down the robe, then gets the candle again. He leaves the bedroom, but looks back for any disturbance closes the door to the hall and locks it. Then he goes to a small hearth and sets the candle on the mantel. He gets a chair, puts it in front of the hearth. Then, with the robe on his lap, sits down. He sneezes before a bowl on the hearth and tightens his coat around himself then bends and takes a plate off the top of the bowl. He picks up the bowl and a spoon, then starts eating gruel. Up beside a door, a doorbell rings. Scrooge pauses, thinking. He looks back at the bell. He stares at it.
When he hears more bells, he sets down the bowl. He stands and steps toward a window. Peering through blinds and wiping off dust, he sees no one at his door. He turns from the window, growing more alarmed. Leaning on the mantel, he listens. He starts. Then he listens closely as his eyes dart about the room. He releases the mantel. Then balls up his fists, trembling. He stares at the closed hallway door, which seems to open on its own. Well, Ebenezer Scrooge, for only you can see me. What you want with me? Much. Oh, are you? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. In life? Why do you trouble me? It is required of everyone that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. The invisible Marley shuts the door. My spirit never walked beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hall. So I cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot linger anywhere. He sits. You... Are Why? I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it, link by link. Would you know the weight and length of the coil you bear yourself? Speak words of comfort to me, Jacob Marley. Speak words of comfort. Comfort? I have none to give. I am here to warn you, to save you, if that be possible. To warn? Scrooge reaches for his chair. To save me? And sits. From what? From such a fate as mine, to wander through the world and witness what I cannot share, but might have shared on earth and turn to happiness. But you were always a good man of business, Jacob. Business. Marley stands. Mankind would have been my business. Charity, forbearance, benevolence, all were my business, as they should be yours. Standing, Scrooge recoils. Now heed me, for my time is short. You will be haunted by three spirits. Without their visit, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. You shall behold the visions of a Christmas past, a Christmas present, and a Christmas yet to come. Expect the first when the clock strikes midnight tonight. Molly! He gets the candle. Look to see me no more. Molly! He walks after Marley into the bedroom, where a window is raised. Scrooge goes to it and sees only blowing snow, covered roofs, and smoking chimneys. 
back inside. He scratches his head and steps away. Um. The window closes. Looking back at it, he steps to it again and sees the blowing snow has ceased. He scratches his head again, then slumps his shoulders with fatigue and begins to take off his scarf. Later, a city worker uses a long pole to snuff out a street lamp. In his bed, Scrooge misses snuffing out the candle on his bedside table and retracts his hand, dozing off. Outside, a worker shuts the gate Scrooge had stepped through. In bed, Scrooge opens his eyes. He raises his head, and the bed curtains slowly part. He sits up with his eyes wide. When the curtains part further, a faceless apparition appears. I am the spirit of Christmas past. I am here to show you the things that have been. Look back beyond the gulf of vanished years. They go to his office, where he watches his younger self. The money is due and must be paid. But, sir, that's impossible. Then I shall have no alternative but to take immediate steps to recover it. A woman enters, watching him with the couple. See that if that is the way I conduct my business. You don't mean sell us up? That is precisely what I do mean. The woman visitor sits around a corner. I couldn't work in the hospital. Mr. Scrooge, I beg of you. Good day. He steps from the couple to his desk. You can't do this. You can't be so unjust. Give us a little more time. A week. Please. Scrooge hunches over his work. Taking his wife by the arm, the young man steps to the door. She turns back for another plea, but he stops her and puts an arm around her. From the other office, the woman visitor watches them leave. As the door closes, she stands and turns to Scrooge. When she approaches, he turns to her. Oh, Bill. I didn't hear you come in. She sits. So it is true. What do you mean? What they say. You're a man without pity, without remorse, who weighs everything in the scale of profit loss. Bill! I I couldn't help you. What is his business? If I were to allow sentiment to enter this counting house, I should be in the bankruptcy court within a year. And as for that couple who've just gone out, well, set your mind at rest about them. Worthless, shiftless pair. Had my good money. Now I want to avoid paying it back. Your money. She stands. Your good money. They asked you for a little breathing space, a little time in which to pay. That's all. Enough of this, Bill. I am ready to make allowances for your feelings as a woman. But I must ask you to leave my business affairs alone. When you marry me, I shall insist... She pulls a ring from her finger and sets it on the mantel. I'll take leave of your senses. 
I've tried hard not to believe what they've said about you. I'd give anything not to believe it now. But the evidence of my own eyes and ears, I must believe. You are not always so. But I can see now that one passion and one passion only engrosses you. Gain. But then, even if it were so, I'm not changed towards you. You are changed. Changed in every way. You're not the man you were. Our contract's an old one, made when we were poor and content to be so. May you be happy, alone, in the life you've chosen. Belle walks away and leaves. Scrooge takes down the ring as his older self closes his eyes. Now look and see the happiness you have missed. Eyes open. He stares at a scene where children dance around a Christmas tree in a home with Belle. Another group dances with a nanny in another circle. Belle sits with some of the children, laughing. Other children play instruments as the other group falls happily. A door opens and a man enters, smiling. They all run to the man who crosses the room giving them candies and trinkets. Some reach into his pockets. He takes off his coat. Oh, by the way, Belle, I saw an old friend of yours this afternoon. Oh, who was it? You guess. How can I? He sits beside her. I don't know. It wasn't Mr. Scrooge. Mr. Scrooge it was. I passed his office window, and as it was not shut up and there was a candle inside, I could scarcely help see him. His partner's on, on the point of death, I hear. And there he sat, alone. Quite alone in the world, I do believe. They kiss. And Belle puts an arm around one son. Spirit, I cannot bear it. Haunt me no more. I told you these were the shadows of the things that have been, that they are what they are. Do not blame me. Take me back. He snuffs the candle back in bed. Later, he sleeps. He rouses. It's one o'clock, I know it is. Sitting up partially, he looks around. Then he pulls a sheet over his head and peeks. Shadows flicker past him, taking off his covers. Scrooge scrambles out of bed into an open doorway where a large man in rich robes sits at the flaming hearth. Come in! And know me, better man. With a garland on his head, he eats poultry in his hand. I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me. He's surrounded by holly boughs. You have never seen the like of me before. Never. I've never walked forth with the younger members of my family, meaning I am very young. 
My elder brothers, born in those later years. I don't think I have. I'm afraid I have not. Have you many brothers, Spirit? He tosses the food away. More than 1,800. He drinks. A tremendous family to provide for. Spirit, conduct me where you will. Already I have been forth under compulsion and learned the lesson which is working now. If you have aught to teach me, let me profit by it. He sets his glass aside. Touch my robe. And you shall see how your poor clerk, with his paltry fifteen shillings a week, which you so grudgingly dole out to him, keeps Christmas. Touch my robe. He holds out his sleeve. Tentatively, Scrooge lifts his hand and brings it down onto the sleeve. Leaving a church, Cratchit puts on his hat and crouches in front of a boy. Up, you get tiny, Tim. He stands with Tim on his shoulders, holding a little crutch. Cratchit carries him away through the snow with the other departing parishioners. Rounding a corner, Cratchit blinks in the snow and dodges snowballs flying by. He stops with Tim at a tall snowman and they admire it. Then they go to the man with the tray. A boat! Tim reaches toward the tiny toy boats. As he takes it, Cratchit pays the man. Tim kisses his cheek, and they continue on. At home. Mrs. Cratchit kisses a young woman with a younger woman and little brothers and sister. We had a deal of money to finish up last night and had to clear away this morning. Well, never mind, as long as you are. Come. Come and sit before the fire, my dear, and get it warm. Martha hides behind a hanging coat. Cratchit and Tim approach the door, which opens. He walks in and lowers Tim, who wears a brace on one leg. And where's our Martha? She's, um... Not coming. Not coming? She peeks out behind him. Not coming upon Christmas Day? She wraps her arms around him. Yes, Father dear, here I am. He turns and kisses her cheeks. Scrooge watches with the ghost outside the window. The daughter and Tim go to another door and head into the kitchen as the other children dance. Cratchit rubs his hands. Mrs. Cratchit takes him to a fireplace where he playfully swats the behind of the son who gives him slippers. And how did tiny Tim behave? As good as gold. He sits. And better. Somehow he gets thoughtful, sitting by himself so much, and thinks the strangest things you ever heard. He told me, coming home, that he hoped 
that the people in the church saw him because he was a cripple. And that it might be pleasant for them to remember upon a Christmas day who made lame beggars walk and blind see. He furrows his brow and turns to the fire. But he's growing stronger. Yes, growing strong and hearty. I wish I could believe you, Bob. But I'm afraid. As Scrooge keeps watching, Tim hobbles back in, followed by his sister carrying the cooked goose on a platter. Their mother takes it, and the family gathers as she sets it on the dinner table. They bow their heads. For what we are about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. The kids sit as Mrs. Cratchit cars. Will I know surpass my utmost expectations? With the mashed potato and the apple sauce, it will, I am sure, present a delightful combination that we shall remember until our dying day. So we'll leave the Cratchits to their feast, but Scrooge will soon learn the influence his miserly ways will have on this otherwise pleasant scene and the conclusion of Scrooge next time on Movies for the Blind. I mentioned that Seymour Hicks played Scrooge twice on film. The other time was more than 20 years earlier in 1913 in a silent film. But that wasn't the first version of A Christmas Carol to hit screens. That honor goes to Scrooge or Marley's Ghost, a five-minute film produced in 1901. Amazingly, some footage of it survives and is available on the website for the British Film Institute and even on YouTube. To find out more about the movies, about description, and how to subscribe, go to the blog, moviesfortheblind.com, where you can also find out about this podcast Creative Commons license. Some MP3s are hosted by Blind File Sharing. To find out more, visit blindfilesharing.com. And the movies are from the Internet Archive. So please support universal access to human knowledge by visiting and donating at archive.org. Thank you for downloading and for listening. Be back next week. Take care. Take care.